going to pray. We're going to get into this book, Colossians, free at last. Father, I thank you for your word. God, only your word can transform us. Only your word can bring comfort to us. There are a thousand things that I search for to give me meaning in life, but it's only when I turn back to you and your word that I can find the peace and joy that I am constantly on the search for. I pray for everyone here this morning, God, that you would open up ears to hear, eyes to see your goodness and your love that you have for them. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's kids said, amen. amen. So Colossians 1, 15 is where we're going to be at. Last week we talked about prayer and the power of God. And this is Paul writing to a church in uh, Colossae, and he's, he's writing to this church, and he's telling them what is good about the gospel. He's telling them what to believe because, like uh, now, just like then, there's this tendency that we have to add things to Jesus. There's this tendency that we have to bring additional things into Christianity, but the Apostle Paul and Jesus himself, they're relentless to say, no, it's not about Jesus plus something. It's about Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing equals everything that we need for this life and the next. And today, we're going to be looking at one of the most magnificent, biggest Jesus-centered passages that is in the Bible, especially in the New Testament letters. I remember when we were building this, um, Jared said, how tall do you want the letters of Jesus to be? And, and it was like, do you want them this big, this big? And I said, as big as we can get them. And literally took plywood, had the projector go from top to bottom, and traced out these letters. And as many of you know, it's my, this is my Christmas decoration for next year. Um, it's going to be right above my garage, so my neighbors are going to hate me. I'm going to play it all night long. I might even have some nerdy songs that play when people drive by. But I'm excited for that. This passage is a much bigger Jesus than that. And as I was preparing for this, this passage, I started to think about all of the moments in life where I, I felt kind of smaller. And, and let me explain. I don't feel small very often. There's like none of you in here that make me feel small. Maybe two of you, actually, now that I look around. There's two of you in here that maybe make me feel small. I'm a large human being. But there's, there's something magnificent about the first time you stand on the precipice of a mountain or a cliff. There's something that, that feels like almost magical the first time that you are in the middle of the ocean and you look around and see no land anywhere. There's something that makes you feel like there's got to be more when you're flying in an airplane to go live on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and you, you look at the tiny square area where you're going to be living your life, and you think, I could drive around this in half of a day, and the rest of it is expanse. I was thinking about those moments that made me feel small, because today in this passage, it's painting a big picture of Jesus. I, I was thinking about those moments that, that made my life feel like everything in the moment was all that I needed, because that's how I hope we walk away thinking about Jesus today, that he is all that we need. And, and one of my favorite memories, I don't know why this sticks in my head so much, and, and all of you who are in love will get this. If, you've, if you fell in love and fell out of love, it may not work. But do you remember the magic of the first kiss you had with your significant other? I mean, it's almost like static electricity and your souls met. And then you get married, and you're like, I want that back so bad. <laughs> and it's never quite the same. But I was thinking about this this week, and I didn't tell my wife, because now 
It's not the electric, it's not the soul mingling, it's not where the whole world zooms in and I'm totally satisfied in that one moment. But now what happens is I carry a decade of love into every single kiss. And now a kiss from my wife is the kiss that endured bearing three children for our family. Now the kiss from my wife is the same kiss that just an hour earlier was yelling at my kids to shower well and brush their teeth good enough. But there's sweet moments and tenderness and intimacy that I never could have imagined that first time that she tried to seduce me on a beach in San Diego, California. <laughs> that, that specialness, though, that, that's something I think we can grab onto with Jesus in this passage. And then not only that, we can have that moment where we connect with him and then the moment where we feel the sense of intimacy that's ongoing and building and growing beyond what we could have ever known or imagined. So here it is, Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. May God bless the reading of his word. This is Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God you cannot see. God, when my kids ask me, Daddy, what does God look like? How can I see God? How do I know God is there? I tell my seven-year-old all the time, it's like the wind, Jackson. Look at the wind. We've got these bamboo trees in our backyard, and right now the wind has whipped all the leaves off of them, and you can always see the bamboo swaying. Jackson, can you see what's moving them? No, but can you see them moving? Yes. That's how it is with God. We can't see him right now. We can't behold him. Otherwise, we would be vaporized by his purity. But we can see the effects of his goodness on this world. He put all of that godness into Jesus Christ. We call it the hypostatic union. God, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And yes, for math majors, that's 200%. I know it doesn't make sense because we have Bible degrees, the people who write these things. He was the firstborn of all creation. Now some people say, well, he's the firstborn, so, so wait a second. Does that mean he was created? No. Jesus existed before creation. Jesus was not created. We call it the Trinity. I'm not going to explain the Trinity today, but it's the Father, Son, Spirit, three in one, three separate persons, one united being. Jesus the Son existed before creation, and it was by him that all things were created in heaven and on earth. Everything that you can see and everything you can't see was created by this supreme Jesus. Jesus was the forerunner. He was the beginning, the initiator. And one of the things that I love about Jesus that I often forget is how massively supreme he is. I forget this all of the time. So this week in my preparation, I was reading books, listening to conference messages, and then I just started writing down 
all of these things that make Jesus supreme and all these things that he is supreme over, he is in charge of, he oversees, he manages, he ordains, all of these big, churchy, stained glass words. And if we're going to press into this Jesus today, I, th- I think we need, I think we just need to get a taste. We need to get a taste of the supremacy of his deity. That he, that he is the nature of God. That outside of him, there is, there is no reality. He is the most real substance in the world. Standing in his, in his presence, our lives will look like shadows. And they'll pale in comparison to his bigness and his personhood. We have to know the supremacy of his eternal nature. The fact that God goes on forever in both directions. He never had a beginning. He never had an end. Jesus always existed. And this Jesus, as much as this may scare us, not only existed eternally this way and that, but will exist for all eternity. And he holds all of your eternities in his hands. He doesn't just see the beginning of your life up to now. He sees the beginning in every year, every day, every moment along the way. Jesus is supreme over all of that. By him, all things were created. He was there in the beginning. And all things were created through him and for him. We must know the supremacy of his never-changing constancy. He is always the same. He is always here. He is always pursuing us in love. He is always pursuing his kids. And I know right now some of you are thinking, no, Pastor Ryan, he's not always here. He's not always pursuing me. God has let me down. I know you have that thought because I have that thought. I have that thought when I've gone through hard times where I say, God, where were you here? Where were you here? And why weren't you here when I needed you most? But what we're going to see is is his supremacy and his never-changing constancy doesn't mean that that he's our genie. It means he's our God and we're his creation. He's the creator, we're the created. So we need to know that he has his schedule, he has his timetable, and if I'm being honest, folks, I don't agree with his timetable most of the time because I'm impatient. If I were God, so many things would have been so messed up. Like, first of all, if I were Jesus and you tried to hang me on the cross, I would have shot laser beams out of my eyeballs and killed you. He didn't do that. He said, forgive these people. If, if I were God, I wouldn't have endured a nation of people that spit in my face for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. At one point, if I were God, I would have snapped my fingers and instead of turning, instead of giving the people bread, I would have just turned them to bread. I'm like, I'm done with you. Do bread. You're done. I'm done. You're done. Because... Because I don't have his never-changing constancy. My patience wanes. My constancy is very different. I can come home from a great day, and my kids know they get happy, Dad. Where I'm going to join them on Minecraft. I'm going to kill them with my diamond sword. We're going to go out and jump in the trampoline. We're going to play catch. I'm going to throw a ball at my kid. It's going to be great. Some days I come home, and they think happy Dad is coming home. But it's not happy Dad. It's grumpy Dad. It's dad that when they say, can you join me on Minecraft, daddy? I'm like, it's not screen day, even though it is, and I just lied to them. It's dad that says, daddy, can you come jump with the trampoline? No, I'm tired. And it's that dad mode where I just go to my couch corner where I have an imprint of my butt. And when I'm there, it means I'm kind of grumpy. God is not that way. Either you're in his family and his attitude towards you is mercy, or you're not yet in his family 
and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. We must know the supremacy of God's knowledge, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Every book in the world, if you took every book in the Library of Congress, every book in every major university, and you compiled all of the knowledge in the world, before the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it looks like the instructions to putting together the most simple of children's toys. Because the knowledge of Jesus, Jesus is the creator of all things, created through him, he holds the keys of knowledge in his hand, which is why I'm not scared when people say, well, aren't faith and science contrary to each other? I, I don't ever shy away from that one. Maybe back in the 90s some churches did that, but I'm like, no. Jesus owns knowledge. Jesus is the, is the initiator of truth. He has the stamp mark on what truth is. So I'm not afraid of anything that molecular biology discovers, that physics discovers. Go at those industries and learn because God is the creator of them all. God gave men the knowledge to be able to see into those fields of industry. We must know the supremacy of his authority. He is in charge of all things. There is nothing outside of his power. There is nothing that is outside and beyond the reach of his scope. There is no situation in your life today that he could not change in an instant. We must know the supremacy of his providence. Right now, the God of the universe not only knows what's going on in the lives of us here, this 150 people, he knows the number of hairs on the head of every person in the world. The number of hairs that are currently implanted. He knows the number of hairs that are in the process of falling out. He knows the number of hair in my beard that is gray. And as many of you know, I'm very bitter about this because I can't even grow a beard yet and it's already turning gray. He, he knows every bird on every branch around the entire globe. There, right now, there's some sort of tropical bird that no human has ever seen sitting in the Amazon forest, and God knows when it's going to drop dead. God knows what it's going to eat for breakfast or lunch or dinner. God knows all of these things, and he's infinitely there. He's infinitely present, wanting to pour into the lives of his children, you and I who come to Jesus by faith, and he has this much power, and he's this interested. The Bible uses these illustrations, sparrows falling, hairs in your head, gray hairs, all of these things in the Bible. And then when you have something going on in our lives, so often we feel like, I can't bring this to God. This is not big enough to bring to God. God knows how many hairs are not in your head. And for some of you, that's a miracle in itself. And we don't want to bring Little things to God? God loves us so much and, and loves his creation so much, his authority over it, that he is infinitely interested in not only what's on our world, but every star, every galaxy, every nebula. People ask me, Ryan, if God is real, why would he make this massive universe? Why would he make this huge universe and only have one little planet? Because he wants us to see how huge he is. He didn't want to have a little planet and then a dinky universe. They go, oh, wow, look, we could reach the end of it. We just put Eric on Ryan's shoulders, and boom, we touched the top. He wanted you to see. No, when I say hold galaxies in the span of my hand, you know that I'm that powerful, that I'm this big. When you know that the universe is going to expand outward forever, if that's your view, or if there's an end to it, whatever your view is on where modern theoretical science stands, God is bigger than that. God made that. God manages that. There is not one particle of space dust where God's like, oh, that one took a detour. I didn't notice that. 
He's with every particle. We must know the supremacy of Jesus' power to walk on water, to heal the blind, to heal the deaf, to calm storms with a word, to bring back people from death to life. When he said, Lazarus, come forth in your blood, live, he says in Ezekiel, this is the power of Jesus we must know. This Jesus that created all things and they were created through him and for him. We must know the supremacy of Jesus' purity. He never sinned. He never had one instant, one moment of a bad attitude. If I could go through just one five-minute period without sinning, I'd be pumped. But as it stands, sin still rests in me, the beast in the basement. I can scarcely drive somewhere now in my new car that I'm all protective of. I bought this new car, by the way. Her name is Sarah. She's beautiful. Oh my gosh, you should see Sarah. Matt, I think Matt, he detailed it for me yesterday. Oh, I've never had a European car, so I'm all into the legroom thing. I've been buying Asian cars for a year. No one told me that Asians are short, so you're not going to fit in those cars. I thought, I'm half Asian, I should buy an Asian car. I got this European car, legroom for days. But you know what also comes with a brand new car? Brand new road rage. You know, because when I was borrowing someone's car, it was like semi-road rage, like, don't hurt my friend's car. Now with my new car, uh, no joke, gets detailed yesterday, waxed, beautiful, shiny. I could look at myself in the paint. And I went for a joyride last night. I was driving all around Ruskin, going crazy. Went to my favorite pizza shop. And then I was coming back home, right up Balm Riverview. And um, one of those sprinklers that got busted were there. And it was aiming right in the street. And it's like one of those things where it's dark, so you don't see it until it's too late and my car's detailed, and I feel like fresh, I feel like I'm more attractive in this car. So I'm going, and then all of a sudden I see it, and it was like one of those moments where I'm, no! And all I heard was hard water, hard water, hard water, hard water, hard water, hard water, spots, 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 spots. And I get out and I'm like, okay, Jesus, I'll take that one. I love this car too much. I'll come back to you now. I got home, got all that water off of there. I can't even go on a joy ride without sinning. And I'm sure that was not the first time I sinned on that ride. Because people were close. You know, the Ford F-150 with no mud flaps. I'm like, how inconsiderate you are with my new car here, my Jetta. Jesus made it through all of life with none of that. I have no stinking idea how he did that. I mean, I do, because he's God and man. And he made it through. He made it through being perfect when his parents weren't perfect. When his mom was like, Jesus, go to your side of the house. And Jesus is like, okay, mom. Cling. Jesus, sweep out the front porch. And you know, he's the son of God. He's like, porch would be swept. That's what I would do if I were Jesus. Do the dishes. Dishes. Why not? I don't know if he did. I mean, he could have done whatever he wants. He spoke the world into existence. Do we get that? That's his power, that we must know the supremacy of that power, that purity, his trustworthiness. Because all things were created by him. God the Father unleashed the word, is what it was called, before before Jesus was known as Jesus, Yeshua. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. When God spoke the word, that's the Jesus, the Son, all things came into existence by him. And then through him, 
Everything is sustained by his power, by the power of Jesus. We must know the supremacy of his justice. Now, I know we're in the South, so justice was a heavy theme from like forever ago until today. There are plenty of churches that you can go to where you can walk through their doors and they will literally beat you down. They, they will tell you everything wrong with you and make you feel really guilty. And, and the reason, I think some of the reason is because it's easier to control people that feel guilty. Just again, I was having this great conversation uh, where my wife said, man, look at that big old Catholic church getting built. It's right there on Boya. It is huge. How do they get so much money? said, babe, you can get a lot of money with guilty people. When, when people have got to put plate money in to get out of purgatory, I mean, if I were in that system, I'd be racking that plate full. And you guys can do that here, but I'm not going to tell you you're going to get out of purgatory. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it's easier to get people to give when they're scared of, of going to hell and going in purgatory. Nobody wants to be on an angry spiritual treadmill for 200,000 years to get into heaven. Sorry. I love Catholic people, by the way. If you're Catholic, I apologize. Mostly. Because I'm a Protestant. We protest. Never mind. It's a different sermon. We must know the supremacy of his justice. All accounts will be settled. Jesus Christ will settle all accounts, either on the cross or in hell forever. All accounts will be settled by Jesus at the end of time which is why I do what I do, not to scare people into heaven. Heaven is not a place for people that are scared of hell. It's a place for people that love Jesus, which is why I want to lift up Jesus. But there is that reality that in the end, every account will be settled. We must know that supremacy. We must know the supremacy of his patience. He has endured, he has endured you and me for our entire lives. <laughs> Joking with a friend yesterday and to this morning, you know, if, if we come to church, the walls will fall down. I thought that was going to happen to me when I walked into a church the first time, and then God ended up hiring me. He endured me, and he endures you. The sin in our life is deeper than we can know or imagine, and God is infinitely patient with us. He is infinitely patient with our cities, with our nation. We must know the supremacy of his meekness. God will not brew, break a bruised reed. God will not quench a smoldering flax, it says. He cares for those things that are hurting and broken, and he wants to be there with them in the midst of it. We must know the supremacy of his wrath and his grace. One day, his wrath will explode on this world, and all who have rejected him will know his wrath. That's, that's the one hand, the, the wrath. The law of God says, this is what God wants you to be, and the law of God shouldn't make you think, I can measure up. It should make you think, I am helpless to reach that. So then we turn to his grace, and we must, we must know the supremacy of his grace. The reason I have grace right here and mercy right here is because I don't 
deserve it. You don't deserve it. And until we understand that when God looked down, he said, my people are in a mess. They're in a bad way. I need to do something. He came down. This being who created everything by the power of his word, this being who knows every bird around the globe, who knows every particle of space molecules in the expanses of the universe, this bird who knows the day that every one of us are going to die, this man who knows the day every one of us are going to die, this man came down to be born a helpless baby held by a a teenage mother. This man who could walk on water, this man who could do whatever he wants, call down legions of angels to save him, shoot laser beams out of his eyes, I believe that could happen. This man said, I love my people so much that I am going to die for them. This man said, the bind that my people are in, they can't measure up. So I will measure up on their behalf. We must know the supremacy of that grace. Because if we don't, we get stuck in religion. And I'm sick and tired of people coming here from from other churches, people coming here out of churches they went to as kids, saying, all I know is that I feel guilty, I feel ashamed, the church has beat me up. And every time I go to the Bible, I don't see that. I see the Bible using the law to soften your hearts. Here's what God says. Be perfect. Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. There can be no unclean things before me. Now, if you stop there, that's what we call religion. Because you say, I've got to be perfect. I've got to try harder. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard I try, you will never get there. It's not until at last you see He must mean something else because I'm failing every day. And he does. The law is meant to break us to the point where we have a need that we feel as a deep core need. Where we say, I can't measure up God, I need something. And God said, I've got that something. And he's got a name. His name is Jesus. And he gives us what we don't deserve. And he doesn't give us what we do deserve. And when he got on the cross, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. Not just a little bit more. I posted on Facebook and Twitter this week. When Jesus came, he didn't bring a a spiritual ladder that reached to God and said, climb, climb and you'll make it. He didn't do that because he knew he couldn't climb up the ladder. He brought a cross and he climbed on it himself. And now before God the Father, when we die, when we stand before God, if we come to Jesus in faith, Jesus says, this is mine. When Jesus was on the cross, The wrath of God came barreling in from one side and we were standing in the front and he took all of the blow for us. So that now, if you are in Jesus, there is one thing, there is one attitude, there is one emotion that drives all God has to you and for you. It's mercy. Mercy. He's not angry anymore in Jesus. He's not punishing you. Your flat tire, your wayward son, your difficult marriage, your job that's failing. These aren't things where God is saying, I'm angry, I'm going to punish you, I've got my rod. Everything in our lives, if you're in Jesus Christ, if you trust him to die for your sins and believe that he is Lord and, and make him the Lord of your life, everything is God's mercy, mercy, mercy. Now, this is where it gets hard. I live my life like all things are created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for me. But the Bible says that it's created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. 
And that's, for me, the one place that I've had to go when, when life doesn't make sense in my head, when pain enters in, that I think, God, you say that you're good, you say that you're loving, I don't get this. I don't get it. And if you don't talk to God that way yet, if you don't pray to God like a person, if you still pray to God in 16th century English, you can, you can put that aside. God knows your heart. So when you pray to God with a, a fake thing, it's the weirdest thing. I don't know what he thinks. Because I know when my kids are, are trying to fake me out, and these are just like little seven-year-olds whose intellects I can manipulate. And they try to fake me out. I'm like, dude, don't, don't lie to me. I'm not lying, Daddy. I didn't take the dollar. It's seriously hanging out of your pocket. I found that dollar on the street. Lies upon lies. You deserve hell. Jesus died for you. Go to bed. He, he, he does this pretending with me. But God told me a long time ago when I was reading the Psalms, don't pretend anymore, Ryan. I'm your dad and I love you. I know that you're mad. And, and there's still a respect that I have for God. I, I've yelled a few times toward heaven, but I don't like it when he whispers back. It scares me. So, so but when I am angry, I tell him, God, I'm, I don't understand I don't understand why this kid had to die. I don't understand why cancer is right here. I don't get this, and I'm, I'm so angry. Why won't you ever give me the answers in the time that I want them? Because this world is created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. The aim of every one of our lives is to be woven into a tapestry that at the end of history will display Jesus and his glorious grandeur, supremacy, and magnificence. It's not to paint a mural of me or of you, even though that's what the American dream tries to push on us. No, you want to get your mural up there. It's not one of those, one of those picture collages where it's made up of a bunch of baby pictures and then it makes the shape of Jesus. Like, I'm not even a blip on a baby picture. Billy Graham, the arguably greatest evangelist in all of Christian history, he's not a blip. We are all threads that God is weaving together to paint this tapestry that from eternity on will just say, Jesus, he loves you. He is for you. And what happens is this. People see that Jesus, they hear of this Jesus, and they say, I don't want that Jesus. But all accounts will be settled. And I, I can't tell you the number of times I fall on my face for the people that I love that don't yet know Jesus. People that may say they love Jesus or they, they're, they're Christians. And I, I want people to get to the point where when they read this passage, their heart beats because they love the Jesus that all things are for. That they understand that everything is for him. Jesus is preeminent. He, is, he encompasses and goes before and is greater than all things. When I, um, when I talk to those that I love who don't yet know Jesus, I just, I mean, you can imagine, I'm a preacher. They tell me, don't preach at me. I tell them, I'm a preacher. I don't know how to talk normal about Jesus. I love him. And I'm never trying to convince somebody with some argument from reason alone. I want people to know. 
I want you to know if you're here that coming to God, to this Jesus, it, it's just coming with empty hands. It's not coming with hands that are full of all that you think you've done for God or being an okay person. It's not coming to Jesus saying, before I come to you, I need answers for all of these things. He will show you the answers that you need for yourself so that it can all be about him in the end. And when I, when I share with those people that I love most in this world, that's where I want them to get to. I don't, I don't care about all the, the little things that people put up to say this is why God can't accept me. I promise you that if God could accept me, he can accept you. And if you think by some random miracle of sin and debauchery that you're out of God's reach, I need you to know today that this God is the one that reached for you, this one that we've been talking about. You're not out of his reach. You can't escape his love. And he, he wants you to simply turn and say, I need, I need something more. Because you know that you do. You know that you need something more to get through the pain and the grief and the fear and the anxiety and the frustration. We all know it at the end of the day. And we all wake up the next morning turning to a hundred other things to try to satisfy us. And they don't ever satisfy us, so we turn to something else again and again. There's one thing that stands in the way. There's one thing. You say, okay, Pastor Ryan, I want it. <laughs> how do I get it? You say it's free. How do I get something that's free? Do I just do I say a prayer? Or do I, what do I do? I, I'm not a big fan of the whole say a prayer thing. The sinner's prayer. It's not in the Bible. I don't know if you didn't know that or not. What I tell people in my life that ask me, okay, what's, what's the next step? The next step is, is crying out to God. It's driving along the 301, going down to some beach, putting your feet in the sand and saying, God, I don't, I don't know everything. I'm still angry at you. I'm still confused, but I know that I need something to save me from the hell that I'm living through right now. And you ask God to give you faith to see Jesus as the ultimate treasure of your life, to find all of your satisfaction in Him. That's what God reminded me last night when I was foolishly finding my satisfaction in a 2014 Volkswagen Jetta. I'm the envy of all the teenage girls from the 90s. But that's what He reminded me. Ryan, I'm the supreme being of the universe. I made everything. I created everything. It's all through me. It's all for me. Jesus, your Savior, your Lord, the guy who loves you, died for you, paid all for you, it's finished for you. And a little hard water on your Jetta? I'm so silly sometimes. Oh. And you may not think that's a big sin, but I'll tell you what. Everything that you classify as a sin, all that is, it's a moment where you're treasuring something else more than you're treasuring Jesus. Adultery, lying, anger, lust, addictions. You're treasuring something else more than you're treasuring Jesus. 
Now, you can try to categorize them. I know people categorize them. This sin's worse than this sin, worse than this sin. Sin's just all nasty, bad, and dark, and, and ugly. It's, it's all bad. It's not good. But Jesus pays for it all, died for it all, and wants you to come not after you get sin free. He wants you to come full of all the sin, but being open and honest about it. That's why I love going to bars, you guys. Because people at bars are way more honest with me than church people. Because when I get invited over to a church person's house, they don't want to cuss around me. They don't want to drink around me. They're just boring. I mean, I don't want you to cuss and drink around me. No, I don't want you to cuss around me. <laughs> I, just come be around me. It's all good. But, but it's not, that's not it. The thing that grieves my heart and God's heart is that people are treasuring things other than Jesus constantly. Jesus is here, we treasure this. Jeremiah 2 explains it. He says, Nearby people have committed two great sins. They have forsaken the fountain of living water and they have dug up for themselves cisterns that hold no water. So back then they had cisterns where water would collect and God says, here's living water and they said, I want to drink the muddy dust. And that's what we do every time. C.S. Lewis said it's like we're offered a cruise at the sea, but we settle for making mud pies in the slums. Come to that Jesus today. Know that he will, with open arms, bring you into his family. And he's not looking for you to measure up because he measured up for you. He's not looking for you to do enough because all that he did was enough. He's not looking for you to bring this shiny new exterior. He wants to take your rough and cracked and crumbled interior and he wants to make it new by his power. The same power that compelled Jesus through life, the Holy Spirit, can enter into you as you come to God and change you from the inside out so that you no longer have to pretend, you no longer have to be afraid, you no longer have to wonder if God will accept you. You can know that because of what Jesus did for you, it's done. And it's all for his glory, for his name, for his fame. Let's pray. God, you are good. Your supremacy overshadows so much of what, what I find wrong in my life. God, I pray for everyone in this room that, that Jesus that the Son, the one through whom all things were made and for whom all things were made, God, make Jesus the center of our lives. Make him burn in the center so that this little life, this little, this two-second slice and then with him or not forever, I pray that we would know him and run to him and turn to him and stop hiding behind our fears and anxieties and stop hiding behind our past and stop making excuses for why you're not good and you don't love us. Help us to come and seek you out. 